Our focus over the last few weeks has been chapter 15, verses 29 through 34, an area that I call resurrection motivation. I have a word of prayer, then we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you overwhelmed. Lord, when we think about the suffering and the sacrifice that you have given on behalf of your people. And yet, Father, your love, your mercy is so great that you give us your word to guide us, to hold us, to comfort, to counsel us. Father, you give us the bride of Christ, your church, to draw us, to use us, and Father, to exalt your life to a lost and dying world. And you give us the spirit of you and you your own to seal us as the promise of our eternal redemption, the resurrection of these earthen vessels to glorified bodies to the presence of the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. Father, help us to hear you. Help us to see you. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of such a high calling. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 29, 1 Corinthians 15. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus, why does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. This is an interesting text. Okay, I mean, actually chapter 15 is, but this is a fascinating because there is motivation in the resurrection. And I'm talking about a true physical bodily resurrection. And that's what we've been looking at because it was obvious that in chapter 15, verse 12, someone was teaching or a group of people were teaching that there is no resurrection. And it's a philosophy that is it's alive and well today in the church. I'm not talking about law, the, the lost people. I'm talking about in the church. Because I look at what the church does and how she acts, and I have to ask, my question is very simple. When I see the quote-unquote programs, or I see the methodologies, or I see the system, are they denying the truth of the resurrection? Have you ever thought about what kind of power it takes for resurrection? It's more than a method. It's more than a gimmick. It's more than a system. It is the penalty of death paid in full. It is finished. 
And therefore, you live now in resurrection life. It is now overcoming sin. And when you attack that, whether by an actual teaching or by your actions, you are removing motivation. And one of the motivations that we looked at in verse 29 is the incentive for salvation. There's no incentive for salvation. Why would a person see a dead person grieve in their heart if there's no reunion? Why would I come to salvation? Why would I want to follow? Why would I want to have a a sacrificial life if there is no resurrection? Which brings you to the second. If there is no resurrection, then 30 and 32 is incentive for service. Why would I lay my life down? Why would I use Paul's vernacular, throw my life away, if there is no resurrection? I mean, he states it very straightforward. Let's eat, drink, tomorrow we die. Why would I want to serve sacrificially Christ? It's fascinating. Fascinating. And that brings us to the third point. What is the incentive for sanctification? Verse 33 and 34. Incentive for sanctification. He makes a statement here. See, you watch it all fall together. He starts out verse 33 with what? Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't let these people who are teaching you there is no resurrection or it's some spiritual thing that it is not real. It's not going to be physical. You're just going to be absorbed back into some eternal fog. Don't be deceived. Don't let that rule you. Okay. Now, Paul is basically laying it out. If I was to use my vernacular, I'd say, make no mistake here. Okay, why? The text is present tense. All right? Stop staying in the deceit you're in. Get out of it. Get away from it. Stop following this mistake. Get rid of this heresy of resurrection, of no resurrection. Stop being deceived, he's saying. All right, now, we'll have to look at this a little, a little bit because I've watched this get boogered up a, a tad bit. All right, in the New American Standard translation, the next phrase is, bad company corrupts good morals. Okay? Well, it's close. Okay? The word bad there, the best translation would be King James is that evil. Okay, now use a blank next. Instead of going company or associates or whatever. It's evil. Okay? Evil something corrupts good. Okay? Do you know what corrupts is? Okay? No, it ain't politicians. All right? It is literally the word that we get the rusting of metal. All right? It eats at the metal until it disintegrates. All right? But what is it? Something evil causes good to rust. All right? The word is humilia. Um, it can be translated associations. It can be translated here as company. Uh, it can be acquaintances. Okay? But there's a, another terminology that is used to 
translate this word. Okay, it can carry the meaning of a sermon or a lecture. Okay, so when I looked at it from that perspective, me not wanting to cause conflict, I combined the meanings. Because I think that's what Paul is getting at here. All right. Stop being deceived. Stop hanging around evil people giving evil messages or evil counsel, which will lead to evil morals. Okay. Listen, good theology will bring about good behavior. What's the counter of that? Bad theology will bring about bad behavior. Okay? This bad teaching, this bad messages, these bad sermons, lectures, these bad associations are going to rot your good morals. Okay? See, associating with somebody who is teaching bad theology, whether it be through lectures or sermons or lifestyles, this association with an evil person, you're going to get evil counsel. And if you get evil counsel, what are you going to do? Do you understand who he's talking to, people? He's talking to the church. He's saying if you associate and listen to this, what will happen to you? Verse 34, some have no knowledge of God. That's a key phrase here. There are people in the body of Christ, there are people who associate with Christians who have no knowledge of God and are actually counseling and directing the children of God. And they're very, very successful at it. Look at the church today. All you have to throw out is, they're a legalist. Come follow me. You know what? And you don't have, listen, you can watch a person's life for just a short time and know what their theology is or the fact that they do not know God. And if you associate with them, if you hang around them, do you really believe that you can withstand it? You know, people... People say, do you have to go to church if you're saved? What is your alternative? What's your alternative? I can either hang out in the lap of Satan or I can hang out in the lap of Jesus. What's your alternative? But, but no, you don't understand. There are people out there who have great what? Philosophies, theories, hypotheses. Okay, there's only one truth, people. And if you associate with the lost people, what will you start acting like? Guaranteed every single time. Um, 
Some of you know about me working at this motorcycle shop. This is a biker shop. Okay? In case you were wondering, they're lost. Okay? They are. You know, but it's funny. They'll sometimes use profanity and look at me and apologize. It's humorous. Okay? But you have to guard yourself. I have to pray harder to go over there and work a day. And I have to stay in an attitude of prayer or they will start swaying you. If you stick around a person who uses profanity in every third word, what do you suppose is going to happen to you after eight hours? You know, mommy, I wash your mouth out with soap. Okay, but yet it's a ministry. I'm there. There's no doubt that the door has been opened. But you know what? I have to guard myself. Why? They will corrupt you. They will cause you to rust. If you spend all of your time, the bulk of your time with lost people, who will you reflect? It's really simple, isn't it? Some in the church... Here in Corinth, some in the church today do not know God truly. Did you know that? That's what it says right there, verse 34. For some have no knowledge of God. They didn't know God's teachings. The teaching of this error in its context is that there is no resurrection. Or perhaps Jesus resurrected, but really it doesn't mean anything to you. Your penalty has been paid. See, bad theology, bad theology, bad understanding of Scripture always, always, always will lead to bad behavior. Whereas if you have a good handle of Scripture, a good understanding of theology, you will have... Good behavior, good morals. That's literally what the word morals is meaning here. Your actions. Your actions. Stop being deceived, Paul says. Bad theology, this bad teaching, this hanging, associating with bad people. I, you know what? Even if they are a pleasant person, well, you know, they don't rob, they don't rape, they don't murder. Okay? Listen, if they're lost, who are they following? I I don't care if they're a morally upright person. They don't get drunk and drive. They have a designated driver. Well, that's great. You look lost. And if you hang around them, what will you be? Do you really believe, in light of this scripture, you have the ability to overcome that? According to Paul, all it does is rust your metal. Which is kind of cool, because usually rust, before you see the blister, has already done a lot of damage. Before you ever see that first movement on the outside of the paint, it says, look at that, it looks like rust. Uh, Al and I know what that is. We both had American Motors Jeeps, and they were made out of, well, I don't know what it was. They called it steel. Uh, but it just, you know, just don't put your foot on the floorboard or you'll be standing on the ground. So, and it's not as bad here. They'll rust here. You should have seen where I came from in Ohio. You, you get it, and half an hour later, look, holes. That's what happens 
when you associate or you listen to bad teaching. When you hang around, associate with lost people, do you understand that they do have a theology? Okay, theology means the study of God. They have what they have created in their mind as God. Everybody has. This is sort of how my God works. All right? And if you hang around them, then you will start mimicking their view of God. Do you know what the beginning of salvation is? Fear of the Lord. Okay? How many people do you see today that fear God? How did that get in there? Paul is saying here, do not be deceived. Stop being deceived. This evil will corrupt good. Okay? And then he says this, be sober-minded. It's literally meaning to break something. Break this teaching. Is basically what he's talking about in the context of chapter 15. He's dealing with the resurrection. Listen, I'm looking at incentives for sanctification. You know what that means, right? I'm looking at incentives for holiness. Why would I want to look holy? Because some point in time, I have to see Jesus. You know what? That should be motivation. But if there is no resurrection, and we're just going to be in this eternal cloud thing, then there's no accountability. You can't run around with false teachers without having a, it, it, without it having a corrupting influence in you. It's impossible. See, holiness is based on good teaching. You have to have good teaching. See, denying the truth of the resurrection, now you have removed the incentive for good living. I don't have to. That's what Paul teaches in the letter to the Romans. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Therefore, I should sin more? No! Are you nuts? Why? There's a resurrection. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, you know what? We will all stand before Christ and give an account for what we've done in the body. Why would you keep doing that? He says it right there. Be sober-minded as you ought. He's like, you know what? You know this. As you ought. You know this. Sober-minded. You know what that means, right? Be sober-minded. Be clear in your thinking. Don't let emotions, don't let all of this junk out there cloud up your mind. Grab it. Why? Because then you'll be staying away from the evil that is out there. It's everywhere. It's in, Listen, this is a letter to a who? To a church. It was in the church. Go check out churches. It's all over the place. And when you remove sound teaching, it will always be replaced. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. Remove the sound teaching. What are you supposed to come in? Hmm. Holiness is going to be based on a true understanding of who God is. Not men's opinions. That, that drives me crazy. I see people who will read a text and then torture it enough to make it say what they think it wants to be heard. 
Listen, we live to stand before the Lord and give an account. I mean, if you think about it, after Acts 1, the Lord had given all his instructions about his kingdom and all that was going to happen, right? And, and all they needed to do was go and to teach this. And yet they were standing there kind of, oh, as he ascended. You know, and I probably would have too. Well, I'll just wait here. He'll be back in a minute. Okay. But an angel came and he says, what? Go, but know this. He'll be back. As he has left, he shall return. In like manner. And, he, and, and, and it's there to say, don't forget this. Why? This should be motivation. Do you realize, First John says, I don't want to be, you to be ashamed at his appearing. And everybody says, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the tea leaves right now and how the Middle East is setting up and, and you know, when Jesus is going to come back and I'll just kind of, I'll live over here kind of funky and then I'll get a little bit better as it gets really close. Let me tell you something, people. You're a heartbeat away from him. And you don't get to sit there and say, you know what? I think that I'll be around at the second coming. I guarantee you, I'll be around at the second coming. I'll either be with him or I'll be waiting on him. And you will live, if you read 1 John, you will live your life this way because of what? I don't know what instance I am going to see him. Look, there he is. Uh-oh, I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. But if your theology is based on his coming, his holiness, and the power of the resurrection, you don't have to sit there and manufacture it. You just live with expectation. The greatest church that I've ever read in my entire life is the church in Thessalonica. And I believe that I know the secret of their greatness. They lived with an intimate, uh, an immediate expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. Any second now. And that motivated the stew out of these people. Do you realize that? says this in verse 34 be sober minded you know this you as you ought and what does he say next stop sinning this false teaching that there is no resurrection is causing people to what sin stop sinning listen you won't be able to if you run around with people who do not know God you will not stop sinning, guaranteed. They will either teach it or they live it, and it's going to be based on a bad theology. You're going to have to come up with a bad living, which would be non-sanctification, non-holy. You look like the world. You tell a guy, or I'll be equal, or a woman, that there is no resurrection, there's no life after death, and you watch the way that they will live. There's no accountability. There's no accountability. 
And you know what? Once they think that there is no resurrection, there's no life after death, they will grab everything they can that is earthly and they will please themselves with every adventure and every ability that they can because they, they will look at it as life is short. The Greek philosopher of the time, Horace, said this, Tell them to bring wine and perfume and the short-lived blossoms of the lovely rose. For we all will succumb to age and the black thread of the three sisters who have died before us. Unquote. Take away no thought of accountability, then what? Eat, drink, tomorrow we'll die. Take away sanctification. You take away holiness. Listen, when you take away the resurrection, life loses its value. Only what I do here is what will be awarded there. There's only one thing I can invest in in this life that has eternal value. You know what that is? The souls of people. You can mass fortunes. Guess what? Your heirs will fight over it. And you can't take it with you. It reminds me of the joke. The billionaire died and he made a deal with St. Peter that he could take all of it. He'd be buried with all of his earthly possessions. He wanted it all turned into gold bullion. And so he died. His whole, all of his billions were turned into gold bullion. So he shows up at the pearly gates. He's got this big old bag full of gold bars. Peter looks at him and says, what's in the bag? And he says, this is all my earthly possessions. You said I could bring it with it. He says, what is it? He says, gold. And he says, why are you carrying around a bag of pavement? <laughs> the streets of heaven are paved with gold. Okay, what are you going to do with that? Theology without a resurrection is a theology that doesn't know God. And that theology will lead to corrupt, rusting morals, rusting behavior. Basically he's saying here in 34, turn it around. Wake up. Why? Because he concludes it with this thought. I speak this to your shame. This is shameful that you're being deceived by this. And if you remember this text, you remember this book? We started this. A guy has his father's wife and the church was bragging about it. They were boasting at our freedom in Christ. Think about that. He says, send him out of the church. What's the matter with you people? Why could you allow that to happen? Why are you getting drunk? Why are you telling virgins not to marry? Why are you saying divorce your spouse? Whether they're a believer or non-believer. Why are you falling into this? How can you be deceived? But they were. Why? Listen, it underlies the very foundation of who we are. If there is no resurrection, then what the heck is the point? And he says, and you guys are living like there is no point. Stop being deceived. Do you see that the resurrection has, shall I say, tremendous implications? He says, I'm ashamed. 
that I even have to remind you because you should know this. That's what it concludes. I speak this to your shame. It is shameful that this even has to be brought up. If Jesus Christ rises from the dead, he is alive and we shall live also. See, that is incentive to be saved. That is incentive to be saved. I mean, it's the death of a loved one who knows Jesus Christ. There's an incentive for that unbeliever to be saved so they can spend the time with that loved one. That is that hope. It is incentive to serve. Why? Only what I have done for the Lord is what will count. That's the way that we learn to throw our lives away for the work of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the resurrection. Sanctification will be honored. Morality will be honored. Why? What we do for the Lord in this life will be rewarded where? In the next life. You take the resurrection away, what does that mean? There's nothing left. Anything less is shameful. Anything less corrupts truth. Anything less is heresy. Do you see the importance of the resurrection? It's a little bit more than chocolate rabbits or colored eggs or bunnies or whatever. Oh, in some cases, your Easter bonnets. Isn't it? Isn't it? Why would I want to live a sacrificial life for Jesus Christ if there's no resurrection? Why would people come to salvation if there's no resurrection? And definitely, why would people be sanctified if there is no resurrection? And yet there are people in this congregation that live lives based on the world. And when they do that, they're canon theology. They don't want to hear it. I ain't going to live in light of Christ. I ain't going to live in light of any minute. I'll see him. And yet John tells the saints in 1 John, I don't want you to be ashamed at his appearing. Why? Because there's a resurrection. My brothers, my sisters, I encourage you to hold to the resurrection. Live in light of the resurrection. Yes, Christ's resurrection, but your resurrection. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul and... uh, even though his heart hurt for this church, he shared truth and love. Father, I pray that as we struggle and, and the world seeks to corrupt us, Father, you will give us grace and strength to be overcomers. Father, we would live in holiness. We would live in service and we would live with a desire to see many souls saved to the King of King and Lord of Lords. Father, these are trying times. Please, Lord, strengthen us for the fight that is before us. 
but what is individual and collective. We all struggle together. Father, help us to be overcomers. Help us to hold to your resurrection. Help us to hope in your resurrection. But Lord, I beg you, I lift your bride to you. May we operate in the power of the resurrection. To your glory and praise. Amen.